made on Jajaburung country. This is Not, Not the, the Babysitter, babysitter a show from Women's Health Loddon Mallee about fatherhood and breaking free of gender stereotypes. I'm Ella Burke. Today we're looking at the question of how gendered stereotypes about parenting affect dads in same-sex couple families. You'll hear from Christian, a dad in a same-sex relationship living in Bendigo, Victoria, about what it's like for his family to do things that should be simple, like attend parents' group, change a nappy at a shopping centre and go out for baby chinos. You'll also hear why Christian's childhood makes outdated notions of manning up and copying it on the chin very unappealing. I spoke with Christian via video call in mid-July 2020 when regional Victoria was under restrictions to address the second wave of COVID-19. Here's Christian. So my name is Christian and my partner um, and I, my partner Aid and I have been together for 16 years. 16? I think we've stopped counting now because it's it's been so long. And we have um, two children, twins, Winston and Harvey, who are now three. So we, um, we've welcomed them into the world via the process of surrogacy. And um, that was an amazing experience. And we kind of count ourselves lucky because we've got an amazing relationship with both our surrogate and our egg donor. So we have an extended family as such. So we talk to them regularly over over Skype or video chat. So, yeah. And tell me about the arrangements you have in your family for doing paid and unpaid um, work and parenting. Yeah. So um, initially I, when the boys arrived, I took 12 months off work um, to be the stay-at-home um, caregiver, primary caregiver. Um, whilst my partner continued to work. And um, since that time, there have been some kind of changes and, and now I'm back to full-time work, where, whereas Aiden's um, working part-time um, in the normal world, and I say in the normal world, without COVID. So um, Aiden's currently off work um, completely um, due to... He, he was working in a hospital and um, clearly with COVID and, and one of my children has um, is immunocompromised. So just working in that environment wasn't really safe um, for Aiden should he bring anything home to, to my son Winston. So he's um, now stayed home for a while and we'll kind of reassess later in the year. Many of you will be familiar with new parents groups organised and run by Maternal and Child Health Services as a free support for new parents. All parents and carers should be welcome to draw on this resource, but... Christian's experience wasn't so positive. I was part of a parenting group which was organised by our local council and I was really excited. I mean, you know, we had um, one of our children in hospital for quite a while so there wasn't that opportunity to really um, engage with other new parents and um, funnily enough, even one of my friends, she had a set of twins um, two days after my boys were born or four days after my boys were born. Um, and so we didn't even have an opportunity to kind of reconnect after um, after becoming parents. So she was joining this parenting group as well. And I was really excited. And then I received a message from the organisers um, 
and it opened by saying, hi, ladies, just letting you know that the venue has changed. <laughs> so at that point, I'm like, am I supposed to become this? Is this a mother's group or is this a parenting group? I don't understand um, whether or not, you know, am I included? Am I allowed to be, am I allowed to be attending this? So I did make that call and, you know, she's a very, very apologetic and, and whatnot, but it, it's that kind of constant question. What am I entitled to as a parent? What, uh, you know, what, are, um, how my needs being met as a parent, a male parent, um, and how are they different from a females? I wasn't sure. And it was that kind of question that, continually was raised when things were said you know with ignorance there was a degree of ignorance that I was experiencing another instance with that parenting group was that we had engaged a um a professional to kind of attend and it was paid for out of our pocket um separate to the parenting group so it was an additional um thing organized by us as a collective and um it was lovely. It was outside. It was, in, you know, by the library. And um, as with twins, I'm always late to everything. So I um, I arrived and, you know, pe- take, took out the picnic rug, got the um, the boys out of their pram and put them on the picnic rug and started listening to the, um, the presenter. And at one point during the presentation, she turned to me um, quite quite promptly quite you know with quite a bit of passion and and then said you know and men have have a role to play in this as well and at that point i i couldn't help but to actually correct herself and say well you know yes i am a man but so is my partner and we are their their parent um so i would expect to play a role in this and then just by raising that another member of the group actually said and i don't have you know, a male, uh, the, the, the child's father is not in the lo- their life. So um, what role does that person play or what role can I facilitate in that regard? So, you know, those type of comments where, you know, why wouldn't I play a role? That that kind of assumption that, you know, I, I'm there, I'm, I'm a part of this group, I have my children here and I'm participating but then you feel that you can turn to me and, and kind of almost reprimand me and tell me that I have a role to play in, you know, assisting my child to, to sleep. It was, it was quite interesting and a little upsetting, to be honest. Mm, I can yeah. imagine that would be very upsetting. I'm wondering as well, because um, it sounds like you continued with the parents group and um one thing that I'm hearing a lot from people is, and that I'm hearing in what you're saying as well is um, even when there's gender-neutral language about something like parents' group, there's still a cultural assumption that it's mother's group or for women yeah. or, you know, just what you were saying about saying, hi, ladies, you know, even though it's called par- – officially it's parents' group, kind mm-hmm. of culturally it's like mother's group. Um, yeah. And so I'm wondering what your experience was of the peer relationships in that setting. Well, I was the only male um, and my my attendance was impacted due to um, Winston's health. So I wasn't able to attend as regularly as, you know, most people were. Um, 
in a peer kind of setting, it was it was great because I I had already known people, I, I knew people there. So my friend um, who had the other set of twins and somebody else who just by chance when I arrived I saw her and you know knew them. Um, there was an acceptance, um, and it, you know the group in it, in itself was great. But um, had I not had had that that pre-existing relationship with some some people there, I probably may have not attended. Um, after after the fact and even after that first text message had my my friend Lauren who has the twins um, not been attending I, I may have kind of thought twice about attending in the first instance mm, so having mm. that connection with someone already was pretty key to your participation sounds it like. certainly was yeah. yeah overwhelmingly people want men to be respectful caring and loving And for dads, that includes doing things like the grocery shopping and changing nappies. But our public spaces don't always support men to do this. We're in a a shopping complex and we were looking for the parents' room and um, there were signs on, on the roof kind of directing parents' room, parents' room, parents' room this way. So we're following those signs and then when we got to the parents' room, um, there was a silhouette or a graphic on the window and it was one of those vinyl wraps that was large and, you know, all over the door. And it re- represented a female and a child. And so at that point, I, I remember turning to my partner asking, are we allowed to go in here? Is this, you know, is this for us as parents or is this um, is this only for, for females with, with children? About a week prior to the specific situation I'm thinking about, I read an article, and I think it was about a dad in Perth who had taken their child to a parent's room to change their nappy. What had happened is that when he entered the parent's room to change his child's nappy, um, he was reprimanded by somebody in the change in the, in the parent's room to the point where he was kind of labelled or named a pedophile being in that room as a male wanting to change his his child's nappy and, and care for his child. And that was, you know, instantly I went to that that article that I'd read so recently. At the time, we went in yet anyway, we had to attend to our children. And, you know, that was our primary kind of need. It was attend to our children. And it was fine. We had no kind of negative experience there. We haven't had a negative experience. But what I did do in that instance was actually write to that shopping complex and, and link that article. And they were amazing with their response. They actually um, took every effort and every um, every opportunity to actually engage me and, and talk to me about, you know, the issue that I may have had or may have seen. Um, and some of the confusion I had, because it was confusing again, I wasn't sure if I was allowed to go in there and tend to my child's need. Um, and they had really quickly moved to change that graphic and make it a little more generic and um, inclusive. Yeah. My partner and I both um, went out with our boys and it's it's one of our favourite things to do is, is go and have baby chinos with them. And we have a twin pram, so it's a side-by-side twin pram. And it was interesting because we were um, we were there having a baby chino and, and a couple turned to us and um, 
said to us both, and our children don't look alike. I mean, despite being twins, they don't look alike at all. And often we get told one looks like me, one looks like Aiden. So the comment was, oh, you boys are, you boys are good giving their mums a break. So assuming that um, the children weren't related, that Aiden and I weren't a couple and that we were taking um, our children away to give their respective mums a break. Mm. Yeah. Just so much in that. Clearly looking through a lens of heterosexuality to interpret that scene. Mm. Uh, what's what's to make meaning out of what's going on here? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and that that was that head-scratching moment where you, we kind of thought, well, I kind of thought to myself, did they not say it's a twin brand? Like, have they not kind mm. of joined the pieces of that puzzle together? And, um, yeah, it, it was interesting. And, and you know, it, it certainly hasn't been the first comment like that that we've had, but it was the first comment where people had assumed that we were we were not a couple um, and that the children belonged to us separately and that there were uh, that our wives or partners were at home whilst we um, gave them a break from you know their primary caregiving duties to to um, go get baby chinos and yeah it was it, not the first comment it won't be the last but it was you know that construct of of us being separate mm. yeah we were sitting quite close to them in proximity and the boys were out of their pram playing all over the chairs as they do and waiting for their actual their babuccinos to arrive with that giddy excitement that they get and what did you notice about the people that were seated near you um the, those specific people that i mean they were of an older generation i guess so there's that kind of um that reasoning for me that you know they may have been um, of a generation where this is new and it's different. So therefore that construct of family would be very traditional in their mind. But again, we're living in 2020. So of, of course that's where, you know, you start kind of scratching your head going, mm, really? For me, when, when, you know, we had that conversation and, and conversed that way, it, I would normally make it a point in in the past to kind of, not correct or reprimand, but just to kind of bring to their attention, you know, there's, there's a new normal and it, it's not mum and dad necessarily that, you know, families can look very different. Um, but that gets tiring after a while. So I, I no longer do that. I just kind of let um, that happen. And, and um, again, it, it's just tiring to continually try and mm. um, inform people. And so is that the choice you made on this occasion to just let it slide? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Um, and what about between you and Aiden? Did you talk about it afterwards? We did and we, we still talk about it. it. It's because I guess it's one of the funnier um, kind of moments where, where people have just assumed that you know, the boys, because they don't look alike and, and we're two men, that we are not a family. It was, you know, very different to that, just that general comment that I've received often, which is, oh, you're a good man for taking the boys out. Especially in that, that, that first 12 months of um, being the primary caregiver and taking the boys out whilst I went to buy nappies or formula or, or the like, you know, I'd often get that comment of, First, they'll see the twins and go, oh, you've got your hands full. And then it's, oh, you're a good man giving mum a break or 
you know, whatever that looks like. Again, that kind of babysitter mentality that that men um, are not shouldn't or, or not necessarily involved in the primary caregiving. That it, it's often the woman, and um, I'm giving mum a break. And tell me about the impact of these kinds of um, interactions for you, because having a baby and caring for an infant is a huge undertaking. The labour involved is enormous, mm. you know, and of course it's joyful and rewarding and we, we hear about that all the time as well, but it is just extremely demanding as well. And I'm sure with twins, those, those demands are obviously multiplied. So, you know, I'm thinking about you as a new parent with twins trying to, you know, meet your children's needs and just get through the necessities that that entails and get, you know, going to the, getting two two young kids to the shops to buy nappies, to get your supplies, trying to do the best job that you can. Yeah. And then you get these kinds of comments and interactions. Mm-hmm. How does that impact you? To be honest, it, it does have a, a big impact, but then there's also, you know, when you talk about it openly, there's there's kind of that response from some people that, you know, and I've heard the word used um, towards me that I'm a snowflake to man up and to just kind of cop it on the chin because this is society and, you know, you need to fit into society that shouldn't necessarily fit to, to meet, you know, your needs or your constructive family or, or whatever that is. So it does, it does actually get tiring after a while. And it, it's not just those comments. It's also kind of that inbuilt, I guess, gender bias of, of who is a primary caregiver. There's still a lot of pressure on men to live up to traditional masculine stereotypes. Judgment, like the name Colin Christian has experienced, isn't unusual. If we want boys and men to escape narrow gendered stereotypes, they need role models who show how to be caring and respectful. For Christian, this wasn't his dad. So I want to take you back from those very present challenges at the moment, but if you cast your mind back to your childhood Mm -hmm. what impression did you have about what it meant to be a dad that's an interesting question I actually um came from a household where and I'm, I'm free and able to talk about this um where there was quite significant family violence um so for me, it was it was actually doing the opposite of you know my experience with my dad. It was it was actually more um, looking at my mum and, and my mum's ability to be that caregiving care provider, and in a sense was the, you know the only caregiver in, in that regard. So it was it wasn't a gendered role at all. It was it was very much about you know that that unconditional love and support and care that was provided by my mum and being able to reconcile, you know, that experience with, with my dad as, as the person he was and, and knowing that that's not necessarily what a parent is or or what a father is that, you know, the reverse is, is actually true. Um, 
so it is that I think that's a really good question because you know not everybody has that that positive experience with their parents and um I have the polar opposite of parents my mom was just so loving and, and caring and protective whereas my dad not so much so mm. yeah I I guess I, I kind of reflect on on that situation and my experience as a child um in my rearing of my children and, and being a father mm. One of the harmful stereotypes that's out there is that of the doofus dad who isn't a competent parent. Christian encountered this stereotype in some of the interactions he's had with health professionals when accessing care for his son, Winston. It sounds like one of the themes that is coming up in these interactions with people is kind of a a low expectation about your capabilities or skills as a parent mm-hmm. because of your gender um, and then also a sense of exclusion around um, what your family looks like being same-sex parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering and I'm curious about that dynamic of low expectations of you as a parent and how that sits with you with your own expectations of yourself as a parent? Mm. It's a good question. I think that, um, you know, being, having a child who, who was quite significantly, significantly ill and, and, you know, still having to attend hospitals um, quite regularly if he, he got sick or, or whatnot. It, it's interesting to see the surprise um on people's faces when you're all over it and by that i mean you know i can reel off all the medications that my son has to take all the procedures that he's had to endure um and you know the care needs that um he he requires whilst in hospital and that was from birth to you know now so um kind of experiencing that that from other people that low expectation that i wouldn't as a parent um have the first idea of what my child needs in in this regard, in this circumstance, was quite eye-opening. You know, even, again, there's always that expectation of, well, where's mum at the moment? Or I'm like, well, Aiden, my partner, the boy's other dad is parking the car or or, or something. So um, there's still that kind of seeking for for mum as well even though i'm meeting you know what's required of me in that situation in that regard there's still that desire to kind of seek mum as the primary caregiver um in in that situation because i guess there's that expectation as being dad that i don't necessarily have all the information required um at that point or i may be wrong i'm not sure what that what that idea is but there's still that kind of seeking of well where's mum at the moment it's funny as a um, as a mother as well because there's something seductive about that, like mum's a special attitude, yeah. but it's yeah. so harmful. You know, it's like it's such a false, such a false seduction. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like only and you it, can do it. You only, have to yeah. do it all. Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one who can do it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. um even that. It, it's interesting because there there was a time in which the boys were kind of. Just, 
talking about mum, mummy, and calling me at one point mum as well. And that I think came from daycare and reading books where there's, you know, that construct of mum and, you know, um, mummy called the doctor and the doctor said, no more monkeys jumping in the bed. So you've got like, it's it's everywhere and it is really kind of that, that um, ingrained natural mum again is the primary caregiver and mum is that special one who can who can make everything better and mum is the one that kids generally seek out and and want when they've you know fallen over and grazed the knee or something like that so it's it's interesting that you know my boys started using that language at one point as well yeah that's fascinating I can Mm. totally understand why why they would think that like well this is the person who does those things for me exactly and that's the word we use for that person so it sounds like you had some experiences with the health system that where you didn't necessarily feel uh, included as the default. Mm. Mm. We, we certainly did. And even when, um, so we arrived um, back in Australia and, and Winston um, needed to go immediately to the children's hospital um, from the airplanes. So we, we didn't even get a chance to come home um, after a few weeks overseas after the boys were born. And because there was a there was a bit of an emergency situation, um, we then had to be accommodated at the hospital, at the Royal Children's Hospital. And even then, we were placed on the mum and bub's ward in, the, in that kind of section of the hospital for accommodation. And, you know, there was communal kitchen, communal laundry, and we felt very um, awkward and not... Not for any reason other than we didn't want to make other people feel uncomfortable with being males on that ward. Um, I shouldn't even say ward. It's, an, it's accommodation. So um, it is parent, parent accommodation, but it is specifically named Mum and Bubs. So, mm. um, and from my understanding that there is no other readily available accommodation um, for parents at the Royal Children's. There are many masculine stereotypes and how they play out depends on the situation. In some circumstances, Christian found that being gay meant that he had more access to spaces or services than perhaps a heterosexual man in a couple family would. There's almost a sense of, you know, not being threatening as a gay man. So when you're labelled, you know, when you're in those settings and, and you're then kind of given some reason or some some kind of um, I'm going to use the word reason for being in that setting as a primary caregiver. Then it's almost kind of being a gay man. It's it's that aha moment where people are like okay, and then there's that kind of safety. I, I felt that you know we're allowed in the in the mum and bub's ward because we're not threatening because we are gay. We're a gay couple and we've got our other son with us. So um, all of a sudden there was that allowance that occurred, I guess partly because I and I have been together for so long in our relationship, 16 years, you know, I don't see myself any different to any other couple until it's pointed out to me. So, and in those instances, sometimes it was, you know, inadvertently pointed out that we were okay to be there and kind of, you know, that reasoning in and around, well, yeah, mm. it's, yeah, it, it's hard to explain because it's not 
as overt. It, it's just kind of that um, you can see it when you're filling out paperwork. Like in that specific instance, it was like filling out the paperwork required and, you know, then it's, it's you fill out your partner's name or your partner's behind you. They're kind of like, okay, that's okay. According to Our Watch, being the breadwinner has long been considered an integral part of idealised masculine stereotypes. In the recent Manbox study conducted in Australia, 56% of the male participants highlighted the societal pressure they felt as men to earn money and provide for their partners and families. In heterosexual couple families, some studies suggest that this breadwinner stereotype sets up an inequitable partnership where men are in control and take charge and women are expected to take a supportive role, spending more time doing childcare and domestic work. And in Australia, the patterns are very gendered. More than 40% of mothers work part-time compared to only four to 5% of fathers. So what can heterosexual coupled families learn from same-sex coupled families? Here's how Christian and his partner approach it. You mentioned before that you've had some shifts in your family um, since the boys arrived um, around caregiving and paid work and that for the first 12 months you were the primary carer, um, whereas now you're working full-time and Aiden's um, not working at the moment thanks to COVID. I'm really interested to know how you make decisions in your partnership about those types of things it's I, I think it I can only imagine it'd be the same as any partnership it, it's equal so it's um you know we kind of do what's what we feel is best um for us after you know conversing and discussing it we kind of come to a, a mutually agreed on decision and sometimes it's whatever um is financially viable for example me working full-time at the moment um or you know what we, we also try to share that that um that load as well so again me having 12 months off um for the for the boys initially when they were born um that, that was partly because i'd worked continually full-time for quite a while and was ready for a bit of a, a break from work but also excited to take on the challenge of you know looking after the boys full-time and then you know looking at that further down the track when i returned to work um there was you know a natural kind of shift in our work requirements and um yeah aiden being at that point then part-time allowed him to spend more time with the boys um so we kind of just shared that that experience of you know um, being at home which was nice has becoming parents changed um has becoming parents changed how power is shared in your relationship i don't think so other than the kids have all the power now (laughs) 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 no yeah i don't think so i um yeah i think we're quite um mutual in in terms of um you know our life decisions and how things kind of um, progressed um, as a couple. Um, I guess there's just a different focus now that, you know, we both 
communicating a lot more about you know decisions when it comes to the boys and and their needs and um us as a family as well so um especially you know now with COVID, we had concerns in and around um you know their well-being and their health that they those conversations have been big and broad and continuous because we're trying to navigate this crazy new world and, and ensure that our family is safe in doing so so um you know at times you just for me it's been okay you're no longer going to work because your work environment means that you're probably more going to be more exposed to COVID than I would. Um, so this is the decision that you know, we'll make that you'll stay home um, with the boys and I'll continue to work and we'll just play it by ear. And when I finish work, I'll cook the dinner. <laughs> so you get a break from the boys. You get that, that me time that you desperately need throughout, throughout the day after spending, you know, eight hours wholly and solely devoted to them um and i'll cook dinner so you can have some downtime and then we'll regroup at dinner and then do the bedtime routine so so how would you describe like when you're negotiating those things and those conversations how would you describe those conversations are they tense do you avoid them like you know or is it just kind of you know it's just another thing on your list that you've got to work through together yeah well sometimes it just it happens naturally so me cooking dinner um, just kind of started happening naturally. And maybe that's because I'm a better cook. I don't know. Um, but, but you know, then there was a conscious conversation that occurred around that as well, that, you know, I'll cook dinner, um, you have some downtime. Um, and, yeah, it was it was very, I guess, mutual in, in the way in which that happens. So um, even, you know, recently Aiden, Aiden's parents don't live nearby, but they live in a farm um, just outside of Melbourne. And they had been isolating for a while so they could see Aiden and the boys for um, his mum's birthday. And so um, even then it was that conversation of me saying, I would like some me time. <laughs> so, you know, I am working. So feel free to stay down in Melbourne as long as you need to. You know, I've got to stay in Benigo anyway for work. But after hours, have you know, you go and spend time with your parents and the boys with their grandparents, which gives me some some me time, some time to recharge and just recoup. And, you know, that was understood. So, you know, I'm I'm quite comfortable having that conversation around my needs, his needs, the boys' needs, and kind of finding a happy balance with that. You know, again, I think no nobody has the... A, on this and especially now with COVID so we're just trying to find that happy medium where we can and and do it quite respectfully and to meet everybody's needs You've been listening to Not The Babysitter made by me, Ella Burke for Women's Health Flodden Mallee and supported by the City of Greater Bendigo And now listeners over to you What's one thing that stood out to you from this conversation? Have you faced things in public spaces that made it more difficult to parent? Are your communities inclusive for men parenting and same-sex couple families? Or maybe you've faced backlash when speaking up about gendered stereotypes too. To share your reactions, ideas or questions on the show, send a voice memo to hello at whlm.org. Dot au.